Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Conlon. <laughs> I was like, where's this technical glitch? That's great work. <laughs> Welcome in to another edition of the Jamie Sports News Podcast. <laughs> I'm Bennett Conlon, joined by Jack Fitzpatrick. <laughs> did not expect the glitch. <laughs> oh my God, that was good stuff. You got me there. Whew, got myself, man. I was I took like thirty minutes today editing that to get your face over Clay Thompson. Oh, That's great work. I'm excited to be back. This should be a great podcast. This should be a, a really good one. I don't think we've ever gone into one this excited or excited in the good ways. We come into them excited every week, but normally it's like to like rag on coaching and decision making. And, <laughs> and this week we're like, wow, they did it right. Uh, we agree with everything they did. Ooh, that video is also just so funny because <laughs> the PA guy just gets so into Clay. He's back! Okay. <laughs> I got to compose myself here as we, we dive into it because there's some ad reads we have to do. There's some three-notch stuff that's uh, on the docket. Always is. <laughs> I didn't know if you wanted to do the other one first. Anyway, three notched. I'm a little rusty, folks. Minuteman Mondays, $3 Minuteman pours. Shout out to uh, the Minuteman. Oh, there we go. Minuteman Mondays. Shout out to, to them. They got First Tap Friday, New Brew every Friday, which is darn impressive. And then what is it? I think it's half off on cases on Tuesday, which is, is quite the steal. That's in the Harrisonburg tap room. Yep. Yeah, we're excited for that. We are only about a month away from the live podcast in the tap room on Friday, uh, November 17th at 5 p.m. before the men's basketball game against Radford, the uh, preseason Sunbelt favorite men's basketball team. So that should be a, a ton of fun. We're looking forward to getting to the uh, Valley Collab House. Yeah, I can't wait. Uh, you touched on all of it. I had to do, remade that. I had to do that read last week, and uh, it was really, really nerve wracking. But you know, it's not nerve wracking. Betting on golf. The fact that football's back and Bet Online is your number one information source for all of your sports wagering info, with all the up to the minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns. Get the latest game odds, spreads, and totals from the NFL to college football, all at your fingertips with BetOnline's real-time updates on statistics, news, and odds. From week one all the way to the postseason, BetOnline gives you access to the best football promotions and contests available anywhere online, including golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Remember to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's promo code B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Bennett, if I had gone to bet online and placed my Saturday Sunbelt Pick'em wager as a four-leg Moneyline parlay, I would have cashed out big time. You get them all right? I got my Saturday all right. Went 4-0 Saturday. Unfortunately, my Sunbelt week, neither one of us have yet to have a perfect week because we both picked app on that night game earlier in the week and, and lost but fun stuff happening and and other fun things if, you, if you're thinking about proposing to someone 
There's a reason Christopher William Jewelers has been voted best of Virginia year after year. It's not just one thing that sets us apart. It's everything. It's the selection, extensive and unmatched, with every engagement ring, loose diamond, and fashion jewelry chosen for quality and brilliance. It's the service. From our diamond experts to our master goldsmith, our team shares a passion for what they do, and it shows. It's the atmosphere, both glamorous and laid back. See for yourself why people can't stop talking about Christopher William Jewelers in Harrisonburg and we cave hell yeah hell yeah brother all right i feel like we gotta we gotta refine our rhythm we were in and then you had to leave but now you are back so that's all that matters but jim you dominated georgia southern we're just gonna dive right on into all of it uh jmu remains undefeated after a 41 13 obliteration of the eagles what a what a weird game because I didn't expect and weird in like the best sense because it was just an absolute utter beatdown. Yeah, I was adamant. It was not on the podcast last week, but was adamant via our written content and and your text to me texting. after you heard what I said. I was adamant that JMU, the secondary, was going to struggle and that the offense was going to need to score like forty. They did score like forty. The secondary was unbelievable. I thought they played great. The defensive line was dominant. Um, a lot of talk in recent weeks about Aiden Fisher. Very, very good linebacker. Dude, Jalen Walker looked like a monster out there. Like, he was missed, certainly. I think having him, Fisher, Jones, and then rotating in Trent Hendrick, having all four healthy is a huge deal. Um, and one that we probably didn't make as much of as we should have. So, like, there was just a lot of things that looked great in the back end of the defense. The front end looked good. The offense was clicking. They didn't have third-quarter lulls. I thought the play calling was very good. It was like a complete 60-minute performance. And they beat the crap out of what I think, and some App State fans online disagree, what I think is a pretty decent Georgia Southern team. I mean, some Georgia Southern fans might disagree with you. I don't know if you were seeing some Georgia Southern fans' reaction post-game calling Davis Brin like – a trash quarterback that just pads his stats against bad teams. Yeah. Um, but I, I think JMU is, is a really solid team now. Like I think they are elite. Yeah. I mean, the, the level of domination was surprising. Also the fact that they've just sort of assumed that they're going to have great starts and, and they are is super strange where they're like, you know, we start fast. Like they're just assuming they're going to have like a 14, nothing lead after a quarter. And they are kind of coming through on that. Like when they talk about the third quarter, they're like, we know we're going to be up by like scores. And, and yeah, it, it doesn't, uh, at this point, like it doesn't matter because, yeah. but, but then in this, in this game, their, their third quarter was amazing. They had, they scored 21 points in the third quarter. They didn't allow Georgia Southern to score in the third. I believe they only allowed one Georgia Southern, like, scoring drive in the second half and it was the very last drive of theirs to go up or to get that 13th point um but jmu start to finish dominated this game and it was a really impressive performance from everyone involved jordan mcleod went 20 of 31 259 yards three touchdowns uh Kalon black rushed for a touchdown, caught two more, a career-high day for Kalon Black in touchdowns. Tyson Lawton, uh, he's, he ran six times for 39 yards. No one really went off on the ground. Tyson averaged 5.8 yards per carry. Kalon averaged 4.1 yards per carry. 
uh, but no one went over the 50-yard mark. Elijah Surratt continues to be wide receiver one. He just balled out with five receptions, 105 yards for a tutty. Phoenix Sproles, it was really good to see Phoenix Sproles get in on the action. Uh, he had four catches for 51 yards. Reggie Brown, four catches for 50 yards, kind of made up for his drop issue uh, from the, not the week before, but the two weeks before against South Alabama. He kind of had the case of some butterfingers, but looked really good. Zach Horton, three catches. One of them should have been a touchdown if he didn't get tripped up. Like there were just so many good things that came out of this game. I think my, the biggest thing that I circle with what makes me so happy about this game was the fact that they ran it less than they passed it on first down for the first time all season they passed the ball more on first down now their success rate was a little bit lower than normally in terms of passing on first down this game but they passed it 15 times they ran it 10 times on first downs and i'm not saying that's the exact reason why they won this game but i'm, I'm gonna chalk it up to 55 percent me what did black have rushing 48 yards huh <laughs> no I, I think it was uh it was fascinating because like the running back great call back to the press conference <laughs> the running backs this is very gonna be you know uh, some inside jokes today i'm coming back with just the stuff that only the like seven sickos will maybe have any reference to but like <laughs> looking at the running backs that's 17 combined carries for black and lawton is like weirdly exciting to me where i thought oh, they were 100 they're productive. They're really good. Black was awesome as a receiver too, but you don't have to like force feed them the ball. Like just get it to them in spots where it makes sense. It felt like they did that a lot better. Trusted Jordan McLeod. And then some of that is McLeod hit some more passes in the third quarter. He missed a couple too, like early in the third quarter. He had that, black on a wheel route that, that like maybe could have been caught if he was like a receiver. The second quarter. Was that second quarter? The wheel? Yeah. Right before the yeah. half. Or not he right missed. before the half. It was on the uh, the third drive of the game. They went touchdown, touchdown. Got no, no. He had another one. So he oh, missed he did? him. He missed him wide open for the touchdown. And then there was like just what would have been a huge gain wheel route in the third quarter. That the throw was pretty decent, and he like dropped it. Um, and then he had one right after just rat that probably could have been caught. But was maybe a little off. And then they had a lot and fumble that was recovered on like so the third quarter was not perfect, but they ended up outscoring him twenty one to zero and played a little bit as the game went on. But yeah, I like that they don't have to run the ball 40 plus times. I like that you can trust McLeod a little bit. And it seems like maybe they're starting to actually trust him. Well, I don't mean to be rude. They didn't have to do that before. They were just stubborn and they did. I think, yes, I think they're starting to, he also made some like boneheaded plays in previous third quarters. That's very true. And there was a point when he missed black on that wide open touchdown. And then right. the very next play, he like runs up into the pocket, could have tried to like, yeah. Granted, Jordan McLeod's a little small, so I, I'm not saying he should like lower his shoulder and try to like plow <laughs> his way over a linebacker, but he like moved around in the pocket, went towards the line of scrimmage, saw the linebacker, went laterally to try and stay behind the line of scrimmage to then continue a pass and then ended up taking a sack. And that was on third down. So then they trot out Camden Wise, who we're not making enough out of his just amazing growth. And I guess we'll get into that here right after this. But that was when I, I kind of thought the game was going to unravel. There was a, you're sitting there and you're like, oh crap. Like this kind of has been the MO where they get on these hot starts and then McLeod maybe misses one and it, it shakes his confidence. It shakes Kurt Signetti's confidence in McLeod. I think they're going to start turtling here and try to just 
and, and I don't think they've opened up a big enough lead of 17 points against one of the most prolific offenses in the entire Sun Belt. But then from there, it was another field goal drive. They scored on their first four drives of the game, which was very impressive. And then they put up 21 points in the third quarter, and McLeod looked like he was cooking for the entire game. He had a couple couple little rough stints. He had a couple bad incompletions. But overall on the game, I think it was Jordan McLeod's best 60 minutes of football, and that goes along with it being the best 60 minutes of football we've seen out of James Madison this entire year. Yeah, I mean, they scored on seven of their first eight drives. Like, it was just – it was incredible offensively. The defense was really good. And there was other stuff like the first touchdown drive, they go for it on a fourth and short in opposing territory with a pass play. Wasn't like the prettiest. Like I think McLeod ended up like being in the pocket and jumping to throw a pass to Reggie Brown that like kind of hung in the air, but it ended up converting. They made a lot of good plays. They got multiple receivers involved. Surratt's a stud, but Reggie Brown was nice again, right? Phoenix Sproles actually got the ball, which I think is cool. Love seeing him, yeah. They're throwing him like little screens. And he, he gets contact at like three or four yards and then powers his way for another couple. It feels like he's he's got to get the ball maybe a little more. But, yeah, I, I loved how they did things. I love that the crowd on a day that maybe could have rained but actually turned out to be pretty nice seemed like a pretty solid crowd. Like just so many positives from this game where I feel like in the past fans were excited. They're like, look, we haven't played a complete game, but if we do, it's going to be scary. But they were getting close to losing during that process. Now, having seen them play a complete game, I'm more on board with like, yeah, okay. Well, I'll be honest. When fans were saying that, and we probably said it a few times on the podcast where it's just like, if they played a full game, I had gotten to the point where I didn't think it was something we should expect because we had a large enough sample where, okay, they've gone through five games this season. They have yet to be able to put together a full 60 minutes of football. Why should we expect that now? We, we've hit the we've hit the point of no return. We've hit the point where the sample size is big enough to tell us that this is what the team is. Boy, was I wrong because JMU went into the bye week. They watched film. I don't know what they did, but they adjusted a heck of a lot of stuff. Biggest thing, I mentioned it, first downs. They're throwing it more. They went for it on fourth down. In the third quarter, they started passing it more. They didn't ever turtle. They kept the foot down. For the entirety of the game, uh, even though there were some shaky moments, McLeod doesn't throw an interception. He's kind of sneakily putting together a Sunbelt Player of the Year kind of campaign. Uh, but JMU, for the most part, they, they they kind of, not saying they listen to the fans, because I don't think a coach ever truly listens to like what the fans want. But it was really cool. You don't often see coaches from offensive, defensive coordinator, QB coach, head coach, whatever it may be, go into the bye week, look at themselves in the mirror and say, what are we doing that hasn't been working? And what hasn't been working is kind of the whole crux of what Signetti likes to do. Dominate the line of scrimmage, don't make mistakes, and run the ball. They weren't doing that well. And they went in, looked at themselves in the mirror and said, how do we fix this? Let's get Phoenix Sproles the ball in space a little bit more. Let's just get our senior possession. Let's find our best wide receiver in Elijah Surratt. You know that guy that can run 22 miles an hour that we've kept on the bench for this entire first half of the season? Let's get him the ball on a jet sweep. And what does he do? Bust out a 26-yard run on the jet sweep. What haven't we been doing? We haven't been throwing it after McLeod makes a few few mistakes. Let's keep it with him. let's, Let's show that we have faith in our signal caller. And they adjusted everything they were doing wrong, in my opinion adjusted it and they came out and and had their best performance of the season. 
Yeah, it's one where like I say a lot of stupid things on the podcast. <laughs> But like some of what we say is not dumb and some of it's not just like weird complaints of like, oh, they got to throw it more. It's like rooted in factual data of how it's the not fact working. That their rush game is literally losing them points. And still is right. Like they yeah. had um, they had some like nice explosive runs. But like you look at like that success rate on their runs was certainly lower than um, the pass in, in this Georgia Southern game. But like the jet sweep been calling for a run like that to the outside for many weeks was perfect. Like under center, you probably think it's a quarterback sneak on like third and one or, or whatever it was. I think it was short yardage. It was. And then you go the jet sweep, just very smart play call. But also like kind of what we've been talking about. We're like stretching the outside a little bit. We called for like zone reads going into Utah State, two like zone read touchdowns. And again, they're not listening to us, but it's cool that their coaching staff is not like, I don't know, Iowa's where they like can't adjust to anything offensively or make any changes. It's awesome that you can see as a fan, like that doesn't seem like it makes sense or why don't they try this? And then a week later they do like, that's so cool. And, and not to like belabor Signetti's age, which I feel like sometimes gets brought up a lot of like, he's in Harrisonburg forever because he's old, but like, we'll get to that. You often don't see a lot of coaches who are like over the age of 60 who are willing to like adapt like he does. Like, I actually think it's very impressive that he grew up in an era that was just like run the ball, stop the run. And he like still believes that, but is also adjusted incredibly well to like the transfer portal and like wanting to throw the ball more, finding a balanced offense, being creative with play calling. Like he adapts incredibly well, which you don't always find when you have like older coaches. Sometimes those guys just want to be like, I'm going to do what I do and we're going to do it. Even if we go eight and four. Yeah. And I mean, just but just hats off to them. Absolutely great coaching, and and also really shout out to the secondary for the growth we've seen from week. I mean, even against Bucknell, Bucknell kind of threw for a good amount yeah. of yards against that secondary uh, from week one to today. That that growth has been exceptional. Chauncey Logan's coming off of his argument, no argument that it was his best game of the season, maybe his best game of his career. Kind of one of the biggest issues that we've seen the secondary is one blown coverage that allows explosive plays. But secondly, they kind of struggled to tackle almost like they didn't tackle all fall camp. Oh wait, <laughs> but like, it seemed like they finally figured out how to, how to tackle and which is huge against Georgia Southern because Southern loves to run those quick hitters, get it into the hands of Caleb hood into Burgess's hands and then let them kind of rack up the yak. Cornerbacks were, were, were converging on the ball. They were rallying around the ball and they were getting to him with one-on-one open field tackles time and time and time again. And, and that is, is something that I, I don't think we focus in as much, the tackling part of the secondary. Because if you can make a six-yard catch stop at six yards, that's a lot better than a six-yard catch becoming a 12-yard gain. Do you know how easy it would have been, too, to just like not – Tackle during fall camp? Oh, sorry. Well, yeah, but, but to like not – start Chauncey Logan last year as a true freshman, but the coaching staff was like, no, he's good. We got to do it. It would have been super easy to not like bring D'Angelo Pons in, but they did it like starting Jacob Thomas and playing him over like a bunch of veteran safeties. Yeah. He had eight tackles in this game, two pass breakups. One of them, he probably should have intercepted, but like, I don't know. It's just, it's really impressive to me that they adjust as well as they do over the course of a season, over the course of a game. They never seem out of a game. They always seem like they have a chance to to come back week to week. Like they're just very well coached. And it's cool that like, if you're a player on the team, 
you can kind of just keep grinding through practices. And like, if somebody else struggles, they'll give you a shot in like week five, like they'll throw you in if you, they think you're going to make the team better. That's not like a week one to like week one of the next season kind of thing. And, and they've done a great job with that. And even with the the linebackers realizing that Aiden Fisher is really good. They did a bunch of like three, three, five stuff in this game where they're like, Hey, let's, let's get it so that we have all the linebackers on the field at once. It's super creative. And it's creating a lot of different looks, I think, offensively and defensively, that it would probably be a nightmare, especially if you're Marshall this week on a short week, to prepare for this team, considering they've run out so many different players, so many different looks. It's a challenge to get ready for them. Yeah, especially and then and then you get the mini buy to, to rest up a little bit more after this short week. Uh, the home crowd, though, real quick on the shout out there. Great crowd. Uh, there was rain in the forecast. I didn't expect it to be that kind of packed. Student yeah. section did a great job wearing all white. Ooh, cracking open that minute, man. I like cracking it. Cracking open my minute, man. But Go Dukes. Great home crowd. Stop with the expansion talk. I'm talking to you, Ben. For for clarity's sake, this is this is not me. I'm I'm anti-expansion. A no, lot of Ben's out you're there. You're Ben it. Yeah, yeah. A lot of Ben's out there. I think um, people do people call you Ben? Oh yeah, my family. There's really? um yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard anyone call you Ben. All a lot right. of people, a lot of people do it. Um, no, the expansion stuff's crazy to me. <laughs> they didn't sell out the home opener against Bucknell. It was like 23,000. Now people are like, we need to be at 40 K. Like they're, they're playing the best football they've ever played in program history. And they're going to have like a night game against an in-state rival on homecoming. People are like, this is what our crowd is like. No, it's not. I don't, I don't know. Mean to be, I, I don't mean to get rude with like what I'm about to say. Um, but it's it gives me little brother syndrome. Like you look around, syndrome. what? Yeah, expansion yeah, talk yeah. gives me little brother syndrome. Like JMU fans have this little brother syndrome where they're like, well, UVA has Scott Stadium and Tech has Lane and look at those awesome things they're doing. We're not them. We don't have 75 years of program history baked into this in the Atlantic Coast Conference. We just got to the FBS. Like let's let's pump the brakes a little bit. Let's enjoy what we have. Get out of here with the fact that the Godwin side hall is ugly. Who cares? Like, you're sad that that looks bad on ESPN. You know what looks worse? A full bowl, half full. Look at what. So I was talking with a friend of mine who used to cover Louisville Athletics. And he said during the Teddy Bridgewater era, when they had all of this hype around them, they, they got a bunch of donors. They started to, like, grow their base. And they built out their stadium. And they kind of started expanding all of that. Then they had the Lamar Jackson years and everything was good. And then they had Malik Cunningham, who each year got a little bit worse. And now Louisville is not necessarily like the height of college football power. And they struggle to sell tickets. Like, let's wait for a lean. Not saying there's going to be a lean year coming, but let's wait a few years. See if this continues. And then maybe we can build it out. But the Godwins, it's college football. Isn't it fun that we have a weird stadium? Am I in, am I wrong for thinking that way? Like, I think it's ugly. I'm with them on the ugliness. But, but why does that matter? I don't I don't really know. I think we've gotten that's like broken college football brain, where like now that the TV ratings are a huge deal. I saw some there was some like front office sports article today that was like Colorado only drew 3.3 million viewers for like a Friday night game against Stanford. Like, well, that's pretty good. But also, why should I care? Like, wouldn't if I'm a Colorado fan, I'm going to be way more disappointed. My team squandered a 29 point lead against Stanford 
than I am about like whatever the TV rating is. It feels like one of those things where it's like, gosh, the branding of our school, if this was a more beautiful stadium would be sweet. It's like, it doesn't really matter. Right? No, it, it doesn't, it, it doesn't matter. And here's another take. I've heard the loudest I've ever heard bridge four stadium was a playoff game against New Hampshire. I think our national championship year. And I think there were 17,000 people in attendance. Loudest I've ever heard Bridgeforth. Family Weekend had the third most people that were ever inside of Bridgeforth Stadium. And it just didn't sound that loud on TV. Maybe I wasn't there for that one, so I don't know how loud it was. But like, just because you add more people doesn't mean it gets louder too. And, and that's another thing people are saying. We, we could get a better home field advantage with more people and make it louder. Pack in 25,000 with a bunch of crazed fans, and that will sound louder than 35,000 of a bunch of kind of apathetic fans. If there's one thing I've thought over the last three to five years is that Jamie lacks home field advantage success. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> it's super weird in, in general. It's also one like they've addressed this a lot. They're going to do it at some point. Just, but like, there's also the Godwin side part of this. We're like, where does swim and dive? Yes, go? yes. It's very le- like a logistical challenge because they're going to have to – I think Nightmare. they do have to tear it down, right? Yeah, they have to tear it down. Yeah. And that so houses like three, two departments, I think. Right. It's still a university. It Like, ath- like yeah, from the academic side, houses a department or two. It houses swim and dive. There's a bunch of like team offices in there in God. Like this – you can't just tear down Godwin. And I think they're going to do it eventually, right? They've talked about it, but they need like a more consistent demand to want to do it. And then they'll do it and it'll be good. But it like, it, it takes time. It's also one like, don't, don't let like sell out stuff and like pushing for expansion distract from like the season, just like enjoy the season. The home field advantage is great. The stadium's fine. I don't know. It just feels one that's like a little, premature I, I kind of agree with you a little bit on the little brother where it's like oh we just we just want to like look right we want to look like we belong it's like well the team belongs so who who, who cares who, like, a, just, who cares yeah just enjoy the season they'll figure it out eventually it's the same with basketball like it took them a while the thing's great they did it like at a time that maybe made a little more sense yeah uh that brings us to is jmu the top group of five team right now uh yeah <laughs> <laughs> what do you what do you think uh, <laughs> Is that your answer? Yeah. I'm saying, yeah. I, I agree. I think as of right now, JNU is better than Tulane, and Tulane is probably the next best thing. But but that brings us into, I think, our biggest topic of the night before we we dive into everything Marshall, um, because this might not be a topic after Marshall. Who knows what happens? Can JMU make like a legit bowl? And yeah. You break it down. Maybe the most confusing topic for for fans, right? Especially people who don't like follow Jamie that closely or even some who do. They can technically play in a bowl game, right? So you just need to not have enough six and six teams. And enough, I believe, is 82, which is a lot of teams to get to six and six. Six and six, you can't have two FCS wins in there, right? So like App State last year was six and six, but didn't go to a bowl because they for some reason had two FCS teams on their schedule. I don't, I don't know why. But anyway, so you have to have not enough six and six teams. JMU has to reach six wins, which the Dukes have already done, which is sick. So they're technically bowl eligible if that opportunity is there for them to slide in. Um, but it's not really up to them at that point, right? So it's it's up to just 
whether enough teams make that mark. I saw um, Action Network's Brett McMurphy had, he projects like 79 teams will get there, which still a long way to go. But there's there's maybe some light at the end of the tunnel of potentially getting into a bowl game, which is is good for the Dukes, right? Exciting for fans. And then the other question, though, is if JMU keeps winning and stays undefeated, could they have some sort of path to the New Year's Six? Because they're not currently eligible for the Sunbelt title game, but that's not due to NCAA transition rules. That's due to the Sunbelt not wanting their conference champion to be ineligible for a bowl. So that theoretically could be addressed, and that's what Kurt Zinetti, I think, keeps alluding to with his like common sense overrides rules. If JMU is the only Sunbelt team that has a shot at the New Year's Six, would the Sun Belt look into here in the next few weeks making them eligible for the conference title? Because I think there's a $4 million payout uh, to your conference if you make a New Year's Six Bowl. So something to consider. Yes. So too long didn't read of that. JMU can make a bowl. I think we all, I think all JMU fans know that JMU yes. can make a bowl if things go their way. But the more important part is the Sun Belt has to allow JMU into the comp. You have to win your conference championship yes. to make a new year six bowl. Uh, this rule exists because the NCAA didn't want teams jumping back and forth between the FBS and FCS because you could see that, oh, we have this really good recruiting class come in. Let's jump up and then we'll compete for a bowl and then we'll jump back down. And then I think I think Florida A&M did something like this in the right. early 2000s. And that's what then created uh, this essentially created this rule where there's this transitionary period uh people will keep referring to the fact that jmu they made the fcs playoffs and that's why they're still doing all of like that's why they're still in the transitionary period no they technically earned it through an at-large so they weren't their conference champions uh that was also hazy because they announced the move midway through the year uh, a lot of weird things that went on through it but after this year jmu will be fully eligible no matter what but they just need a lot of things to go right I think I want to get your opinion. Likelihood that the chips will fall where they need to go so that the Sun Belt will let JMU play in the conference championship, be the conference champion, and they will make a new year six. And can JMU lose a game between now and then and still force the Sun Belt's hand? They might have to stay undefeated. I wonder if they would consider it if they have one loss. It kind of depends on some of the other group of five teams. But right now you look at the rankings, um, like the AP Top 25, I think you've got Air Force and Tulane are both ahead of JMU. But JMU's strength of schedule, honestly, is a little bit better coming down the stretch. You look at what Tulane has. Uh, the AAC this year is so much worse than it's been in years past. Like They like to, they like to call themselves the American. Please refer to it. Properly. Excuse me. The American significantly worse than it's been in previous years. Uh, the Mountain West isn't great. Like Air Force has a fairly easy schedule. Both those teams would have to get through conference championship games too, of course. Uh, but then you're like, the thing that's interesting is the Sun Belt's really good, but also beating itself up. So if you're the Sun Belt and you want like the conference payout, every team in the Sun Belt except JMU has at least one loss on the season. And Georgia State's the only other team that doesn't have at least two losses this year. So, like, you're kind of looking at, at JMU 
being the clear cut best chance in terms of like a uh, new year six contender uh, out of the Sunbelt. So maybe the Sunbelt looks at it on the flip side. If you're a team in the East, right. Are you going to want to agree to that? Like, even if, even if it keeps um, the Sunbelt out of a new year six, if you're a team in the East that could play in the conference title game, like you might be a little more self-serving there and think, Hey, like I want to play for a conference title. It would be a really interesting question to ask them because $4 million divvied up amongst the conference goes a long way at this level. But that's also, yeah, there's a lot of lot to it. So, and then JMU plays Georgia State. So the Sun Belt will be cheering on Georgia State pretty aggressively on November 4th. I think the wheels will really get in motion if JMU beats Marshall, beats ODU. Yeah. And then if they can take down Georgia State, that, like, I think all of a sudden, I think that's when you'll see movement. I, I don't think we'll see anything until the Georgia State game, especially if Georgia State keeps winning, because that's probably their best chance at a new year six team a very outside chance but the panthers are probably the best chance at this point here's the major glaring issue with that this is the rest of georgia state schedule it's hard isn't it at louisiana at georgia southern home against jmu home against app state at lsu and then lsu and then at old dominion they like they have no chance in my opinion like i think they'll probably end up very slim yeah three or more games. If they win out, like with a win over LSU, then yeah, like good for them. But <laughs> like, it's, I don't know. Jamie really feels like the only team, uh, Troy was one you could look at, but they have lost to JMU by two points. And then Kansas state kind of blew them out, um, which I think hurts. So I don't know that a two loss Troy is going to get in over like an air force or, yeah. or Tulane or even and like an SMU. South Alabama too. They beat Oklahoma three state. Now but for them, then, yeah. yeah, they've, they've, they're a weird team. So be very interesting to keep an eye on all of that as the season rolls along. So that's time. This week's Three Notch Weekly Preview. Dukes on a short week head to Huntington, West Virginia to take on the Thundering Herd, who are led by Charles Huff, the head man. Marshall last year took down Notre Dame. They started this year looking really good, and they still look pretty good, but they're coming off of a loss against Georgia State on Saturday. Uh, they did lose, I believe, the week before against NC State as well. So a little bit of a mini skid here from the Thundering Herd. Their defense remains really, 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 really good. Um, they have one of the best secondaries in the nation, but their run defense can leave a little bit to be desired. Um, offensively, though, Marshall isn't good. Um, they have a really good running back, but they're, they don't have a really good quarterback and that kind of brings down the whole operation. So JMU will have its opportunities to pick up some points, pick up some yards on the ground. And this will be the first test, real big test for JMU in terms of their wide receivers and what Jordan McLeod can do against an elite secondary. What do the, what do you expect to see out of the Dukes on Thursday night? I think they might go run heavy, right? I think Marshall fans are probably disagree on their defense i think they're pretty frustrated with the run defense but the secondary secondary is so good secondary is unbelievably good most efficient pass defense uh, in the sun belt they've been phenomenal all season but they've had some weird bursts of giving up explosives in the running game odu i think averaged 10 yards a carry on like 30 carries against them with like multiple 50 plus yard touchdowns i think they've given up five or six runs of I think it's six of 50 plus yards or more, which is the worst mark in the country. 
which is really surprising to me. Um, new defensive coordinator this year. I wonder if there's uh, some some issues there that have have sort of come up because last year they were elite at pretty much everything defensively and offensively. I think you described it pretty perfectly. Good running back, quarterback, super inconsistent. Fans are kind of pissed about it because if they did have a vertical passing game, <laughs> it would set up that really impressive rushing attack. So for JMU, I think JMU's got a more complete version of kind of what Marshall wants to be and is trying to be uh, a couple Alabama assistants, right? Leading those former Alabama assistants, leading their teams. I think Jamie matches up great in this one. I think they'll attempt to run it. I think that'll set up some nice play action stuff. Georgia state crushed Marshall on wide receiver screens. I could expect a decent amount of that, some running kind of a basic game plan. And then defensively, I think if they can pressure uh, Cam Fancher, who was not very good in Harrisonburg last year, to be honest with you. He just kind of benefited from Billy Atkins struggling. Um, I think, Jamie, you can win this game maybe by double digits. I think, yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. Um, and I, I want to say something that I, I'm not sure if, if it's come across that I'm very anti-run through all these podcasts up to this point in the season. I'm not anti-run. I'm anti-negative plays. And the JMU running attack has been all negative this season for the most part. They've been one of the most inefficient units uh, in the entire nation. So I've been anti that and the fact they kept leaning on it. If they come into this game and they can find a consistent rushing attack, if they can find uh, Kalon Black's sixth gear, if Tyson Lawton can be churning for six yards a carry, uh, I'm, I'm you want to run them 45 times, I'm totally okay with that if you're consistently staying in front of the chains. And I think this game gives you that opportunity. I also think, Jamie, you can sell out against Rasheen Ali, something they didn't really do against Georgia Southern to stop the run. I think Georgia Southern probably had was probably one of the most efficient rushing attacks against JMU on the season. But that's just because they were playing with so many defensive backs and like selling out to stop the pass, which is what you do against Southern. I'm totally fine if you stack this box and you damn dare, if you dare, if you damn, <laughs> if you dare Cam Fancher to beat you through, through the air with his arm. Because I don't think he can do it. This is a Marshall team that's put up 40-plus points a few times this season, but they still have one of the most inefficient offenses in the Sun Belt. And I think it starts and ends with the right arm of Cam Fancher. So if, if you if you want to put the ball in his hands, by all means, let him let him let him try and sling it around and, and win a game by scoring 35 points through the air. I just don't see that happening. Left arm of Cam Fancher. Damn it. I had a 50-50 shot. <laughs> the rare lefty. I, God, I can't remember that the pisses me off. No, that I'm I'm taking a lap. This uh, this is annoying. I can't remember the last time Jamie played a left-handed quarterback who had any any um, level of ability, but but Cam Fancher, left-handed quarterback, as Jack takes a quick lap, he has struggled in recent weeks. He has seven touchdown passes on the year to five interceptions. Maybe he should be right-handed, Jack. Something to consider there for him <laughs> moving forward. But he kind of panics a little bit when there's pressure, um, which I think there would. Good, good thing for him, Jamie. You doesn't generate any of that, right? I think my favorite series of the Jamie Georgia Southern game was. First down, Jalen Green forces a fumble on a sack, crushes Davis Brin, 18-yard loss. The next play is the James Carpenter tip interception. I knew Just you were going to say that. <laughs> defensive line sequence from those guys. Well, there was another tipped pass up the line of scrimmage. I think it was from Jalen Green, and he almost came down with the interception there too. Something that Jamie's been doing a lot these last few games is getting their arms up on their rush. They're not just like getting yeah. engaged and just pushing the pocket. Like when they see the ball coming, they do a really good job of getting their arms up. 
Carpenter had at least two in this one. Jalen Walker had one, not at the line, but he probably should have picked one too. I mean, they were, oh, they were doing right a great in job. his chest. Yeah. They're a great job doing a great job uh, getting in the passing lanes. Very impressed. Uh, it's time for a little bit of news or snooze. Bennett's going to give me th- news. Yeah, we love it. Bennett's going to give me three quotes. I'll say if they are newsworthy or snoozeworthy. I tried to fill in for you last week with my quotes. I don't think they were as uh, juicy as what you're normally, what you normally supply. So, so hit me with some news or snooze. All right, this first one's kind of weird. I'll be honest with you. It's just like a weird quote. Kind of came out weird. Um, I don't really know what he was going for, but Kurt Zinetti says, "In my Do mind, <laughs> in my mind, this is a trap game." You guys like that term, trap game? I know you do. That part, I that part was really confusing to me. <laughs> I was like, "All right, kind of gosh, you just started the press conference. Calm down." But I guess my question is, do you think it's a trap game, or it's your reaction to him calling it a trap game? Um, snooze word. I don't think this is a trap game. Like what is this, the trap game is. I don't know because this isn't it. Like last year's Georgia Southern game, I think was a trap game. Yes. Where it's you get ranked, you're coming off of five, like you start your FBS time with five wins, and then you're going up against Georgia Southern out of the like that was a, a trap game. This game, like for both teams, like if if you were coming off of a short week off of an emotional win, then like sure, this could be a trap game, but you're you're coming off of kind of a dominant win that wasn't necessarily like emotional and you're going on the road on a Thursday night game in a short week after the team you played played on the road in a devastating loss. Maybe it's a trap game that Marshall's going to try and bounce back, but like this was a big game regardless. You have revenge on your mind. You're playing for a lot more. It, Troy was a trap game and you won it. This isn't a trap game. Yeah, Troy feels more like that. And then at the same, I feel like a trap game, the team has to stink a little bit. Like Troy is almost like not a trap game because they're yes. so good. And Marshall's like, like a contender in the East. If this was like, Arkansas yeah. State, then it's like, okay, it's a trap game. Wouldn't ODU be the trap game? Yes. Where, like, they kind of suck, and you're, like, you're feeling all high and mighty, maybe after a Marshall win, and you're, like, in the top 25. That would be the trap game. I don't oh, know. Yeah. I was fascinated when he said that, because that, that makes me but think it, that, yeah. It's probably not a trap game against ODU, because you're coming off the mini-buy. That's <laughs> that's true. See, that's the mini-buy sort of cancels that out. And ODU just sucks, and it's at home, and, like, homecoming. So they're in a little <laughs> rivalry, so it's not really a true trap game, but it's closer. But it's also like I think JMU's a three and a half point favorite against Marshall. That cracked me up. It's like, no, this is just like they're playing a good team. Uh, yeah. like, this is a trap game for our guys. It's like, how bad do you think you should beat them? Because <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's gonna be a good game. All I know is he's gonna be asked post game on the field from the sideline reporter how he feels about Jordan McLeod's game. And his quote is gonna be he left some out there. I I love all the quotes. It's like, what how do you feel about your uh I also Short. love how he's He's way different on on TV than like a post game presser. If you ask him in like a post game and you're like, like, do you think you should be ranked? He's like, yeah, I'm not worried about that. You ask him like on the field, he's like, should we be ranked? We should be a top five team based on how we've played. I don't care about rankings, but just based on what I've seen. Like, <laughs> he wants everybody to get that national message. That's for sure. Uh, all right, hit me with the second one. All right, this is Charles Huff, Marshall head coach. Talking Rat about, poison. Talking talking about Kurt Signetti. If I were him, I'd probably not practice today. They'd probably be okay. Take his guys to the movies. Let him watch Barbie or one of these other new movies that are out. Get him ice cream after practice. <laughs> <laughs> He's been downplaying his team very much early in the week. I love that. It's a snoozeworthy quote, but that is an electric <laughs> quote. Wow. What a Wow. I mean, if I was him, I wouldn't practice all week. I mean, if you, you can just rest the guys up, you know, 
right? We're a bye week anyway. Like you can just walk over us. That's an amazing quote. I thought that was a pretty fun one too. Yeah. All right. Another one from Huff. Not to take anything away from him. Him is Jordan McLeod because I think he's a really great player, but their system just allows for any player in that position to execute. Don't get me wrong. They couldn't just put a D lineman back there and do it. He's doing a really good job for just letting the system create execution and opportunities for him. What's up with everyone hating on Jordan McLeod? <laughs> Is this like the new thing? Like, Signetti <laughs> does it. Charles Huff's doing it now. There's a contingent of JMU fans that don't like McLeod. All, all the kid's done is rehab from a destroyed leg, played for the first time in two years after not getting QB1 reps the entire fall camp because Kurt Signetti mistakenly put in a kid with yips. And all he's done is produced. And, and now Charles Huff is taking shots at my guy? <laughs> no, specifically... Like James Carpenter can't do what he's doing. I want to, he wants to be clear about that. <laughs> Jalen Green could not do this. This is this is newsworthy because I hope McLeod sees this. I hope Signetti sees this and gives McLeod the opportunity to just freaking ball out. Because I also that's yeah. annoying though. Like I'm I'm actually annoyed for McLeod. Like this kid has done nothing but come in. He's been a team player. He's produced. You see his body language on the field when he messes up a throw. You see him like get kind of dejected. He kind of needs to work on that. His body language sometimes isn't the best, but like he he's a good. Why, why is he getting so much hate? It's also interesting because they have like every quarterback in the system has been electric. So probably good news for fans that like okay, like they are doing some stuff in the system that like is very good. At the same time, they've had some good quarterbacks who are playing well. I think McLeod's making a lot of really nice throws. He's doing a nice job moving around in the pocket. He's had a few, like he had, I was it South Alabama, I guess, when Brown had like three drops where he was throwing like dots. Yes. And they were just getting dropped. And there's like, they kind of mentioned that sometimes, like, so then the press will be like, yeah, like there's some drops. It's like, no, like he's getting screwed out of like 50 yards in some of these games where guys are missing like wide open catches or like great. I don't know. He's, I think he's playing very well. Can I workshop a take with you right here, right now, yeah. live on the podcast? Yes. Todd Santeo was the better down-to-down -down quarterback. I think McLeod, when he flashes, is a much better quarterback than Santeo. Oh, I like that. But I will say it is worth a lot that you are consistent on a down-to-down -down basis. If you're like an 8 out of 10, I think Santeo was like an 8 out of 10 on a down-to-down -down basis. I think McLeod flashes like 9, 9.5 out of 10, but he also flashes like 3 out of 10. He's thrown so, 10. 10 touchdowns in the last three games. He's he's legit. I also love Charles Huff saying that because he saw a quarterback put into that position into the system last year that failed. That is true. That is like true. He right saw right. it first. You can put anyone back there. Maybe not a D lineman, but you can like put in Billy Atkins. I don't know. It is pretty funny to say that. I also like that like sometimes when, when coaches talk about Jamie's offensive and defensive systems, there's sort of this idea that it's like super – simplistic it's like well why don't you run it because like your offensive passing game sucks <laughs> i also don't think jamie runs like a simplistic offense no i think people are like oh, you know defensively an offense they'll just sort of set up and do their things and they execute and it's like really because when they did like two screen passes and then they had surratt act like he was blocking for and then run for a wide open touchdown like they schooled georgia southern on multiple plays like the jet sweep like there's some stuff they're doing schematically that is phenomenal 
but also McLeod's executing pretty well. And you're right. We have seen some quarterbacks come in and not execute very well. I, JMU does a masterful job, whether it's Shanahan or whoever's, I think Shanahan's the, the play caller, right? It's not so. Sinceri. Yeah. Sinceri's just on the sideline. And I think Shanahan's in the booth, but whoever's calling the plays does a masterful job of sequencing. Mm-hmm. Like a masterful job of sequencing plays. It was incredible on Saturday. It was great. Yeah. Well, I got one bonus it. quote for you. Oh, shoot. A bonus quote. Yeah. While we're on the topic, this is Kurt Signetti. Last year, they beat our quarterback up, beat him to a pulp, and they've got basically the same guys up front. I just thought it was like a sort of a fun, like random Billy Atkins drive by. It's like, we don't have to rehash that, Kurt. <laughs> it's also snooze. Like, he, he, he was beat up, but like, he also missed a lot of throws. He just says so many things in the media now on game weeks to like try to get his guys focused where it's like same guys up front. It's like, didn't ODU like run for 330 yards against them? Like, I don't, I don't know if did I'm you, not scared of the defensive line. Of did you see the former Marshall defensive coordinator who is now the coordinator at uh, Miami get a 15 uh, yard on sportsmanlike conduct penalty for running out onto the field? No, that's hilarious. He, he was trying to call timeout and get the referee's attention and like came all the way out to the hash marks as the play was about to happen. To get he got his timeout, but because he came so far onto the field, he got really? a flag. And Cristobal's like face is just like, what are we doing? Other impressive thing with JMU, you look at Marshall losing the D coordinator, they're taking a huge step back defensively, even though they returned some some key pieces. JMU's able to sort of like rotate coaches. They haven't done it a ton, but they have had some change, right? Brian Haynes stepping up as D coordinator and yeah. like arguably better defensively than they were under Heatherman. So yeah, pretty cool. Well, moving from all of that. You know what time it is? Some bell pick them, and then I gotta hit you with uh, I gotta hit you with listener questions before we before we go to volleyball. Perfect. So it's time for the Sun Belt weekly pick them. Um, you kind of are sucking, man. You are fifty-one and sixteen. I have a two-game lead. You have on a two-game you. lead now. Yeah, I had a good four and one week. You had a three and two week yeah, after you picked. Um, who did you pick to win? You I picked Marshall. Marshall to beat Georgia State. You faded my boys. You never fade. The Darren Granger, Marcus Carroll-led Panthers, baby. So this week in the Sunbelt Weekly Pick'em, uh, we got a, we got a good slate on our hands. As I'm pulling up the schedule, I, I was not ready for the Sunbelt Weekly Pick'em. <laughs> you, don't, you don't even know. <laughs> we have a good slate as I try to find what the games are. All right, so we got a game tomorrow night. Tomorrow night. Oh, it was a Tuesday game. This is Southern Miss at South Alabama. Who do you got? That could get pretty ugly, I think, with South Alabama winning that one by a lot. I agree. Southern Miss is um, broken. My worst team in the Sun Belt, and it's not even close. They took that from Arkansas State. JMU Marshall on Thursday. Normally, we save the JMU game for the end, but because they're a Thursday game, I thought we should just do them now. I got JMU winning. I think um, I was doing the round table today. I think I've got 34 to 20. I got JMU 42 14. <laughs> oh my God. That would, if they do win this game by more than a touchdown, the hype train is going to be insufferable for JMU I'm, fans. I've, I've, I've already, play, especially with a mini buy. <laughs> oh, baby. ULM, Georgia Southern. I think Georgia Southern bounces back here, and, and I still think they're good at football. I'm going to do the strategy for the rest of the season. Just copy every one of your picks. <laughs> so you can never catch up. That'd be something. Uh, I like Georgia Southern too. I think they're a good team. Um, and what they've done really well this season is beat up on bad teams. And ULM is a bad team. So 
even though they like took Texas State, Texas State scored like 15 points in two minutes to win by one against ULM on Saturday. But Georgia Southern, uh, Coastal at Arkansas State. I'm going to take the uh, chickens, the beach chickens. I will do that as well. I think, uh, yeah, I like the East in these East-West matchups most of the time. App ODU, at ODU. I, ooh, do, I, do you like the upset here? I kind of do. I'm getting close to doing it. I think it's tempting. I'm going to end up going with App State. I think Sean Clark is aware that if he doesn't get the next two, they've got uh, ODU and then Southern Miss at home. There's going to start to be some uh, some job security rumbling. So I think he takes these pretty seriously and they play play well and win. I'm going to be honest with you. I think he's been taking every game seriously. I know. I just think there's going to be an extra sense of urgency for him with like, oh, shoot, we keep blowing some games in one possession spots. Like, figure some stuff out that's true ODU is like a really up and down team so they're going to be coming off of their bye week the week before what I was just laughing because it's like you know what he probably has been trying to keep his job safe <laughs> you're probably right <laughs> my logic is severely flawed but I'm taking him anyway I think that he figured out that hey like people are talking I'm about to get canned let's get a couple <laughs> <laughs> Such a good point. I hadn't <laughs> thought about the fact that Tom Clark might have been coaching for his job previously. <laughs> All right. Uh, ODU is coming off of their bye week. They're going to be at home. Uh, before their bye, they, they beat Southern Miss by the skin of their teeth. Is it the skin of their teeth? Is that the saying? I think so. That's a weird saying. Um, and then the week before, they did hang up 35 points on Marshall's defense. Um, and then the yeah. week before that, a 10-9 win over Texas A&M Commerce. Uh, at one point, they did take down. Who'd they beat? They, they played Wake Forest within three points. Uh, I don't know what to make one, of yeah. the Monarchs, um, but I'm going to take them. I, I, I really feel like they're an up-and-down team. Some weeks, you get a really good showing. Some weeks, you get a really bad showing. I, I'm betting on the fact that they are going to have a good showing against App State. 6 p.m. kick on in Norfolk. Have you factored in... That Sean Clark might be coaching Clark's first like, up. He knows about this one. Like he's taking this one serious for him. Uh, Georgia State at Louisiana. Louisiana was one of the top teams in the Sun Belt West preseason poll, but they really haven't lived up to the expectations. Georgia State is coming off of a massive win at home against Marshall. Darren Granger went off. Marcus Carroll uh, con continues to be one of the best running backs, not only in the Sun Belt but the entire nation. I like the Panthers to win. Who do you like? I'm having a bad Sunbelt Pick'em logic day, but I'm taking Louisiana moments after I said I love the East and the East-West matchups. Taking Louisiana here. Uh, they're favored, which I found maybe slightly surprising. Um, Louisiana is? Yeah, so typically when I get surprised by those, I, I assume that I'm an idiot and I take what surprises me. So I'll take Louisiana at home. Um if Georgia State wins this one, I'd, I'd be really impressed with, with what they're doing because they, they've done some nice things, but like the loss against Troy still gives me a lot of concern, sort of that blowout loss. It uh, wasn't a blowout loss, though. Lost by 21. Yeah, but it was close up until the end. Was it? Yeah. How close? Uh, like into the third quarter, they were. A, it was like a one-possession game. Oh, at home, into the third quarter, they kept it. No, they're frauds. All right, Sean Clark's coaching for his job. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> Give me Louisiana, and then I can tie it theoretically, right? Yeah, you could. You're not going cool. to, That's but you cool. could. Um, okay. What a weird 
Well, that was okay. <laughs> Time for some listener questions. So listener questions. Okay, let me ask these to you. I'll start with Dom. How important is the mini buy going to be following Thursday night and leading into ODU? I'm fine. I don't think the mini buy is like that big of a thing. I think the mini buy is like season altering. Guys get some rest. They get some chance to hang out. It's basically a second buy. They're stealing a buy. They could steal a win and steal a second buy. Okay. Sure. That's big. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. From Dan Miller at Wanna Be or Bad. That's a pretty good handle. <laughs> what are your ideas to keep the student section raucous on a late Halloween game that looks like it might be over at halftime? Um, here's I don't know if this is legal or what, or if JMU's risk tolerance is there for it. I think doing like five dollar beers in the third quarter would be a good way to keep fans engaged through halftime into the second half. Like I think you need to do something that in in entices them to stay and, and a great way to entice a college student to stay is cheap alcohol free jello shots for every student for yeah, why not people. right no i don't I, they probably won't have a raucous crowd the whole game if they blow odu out and that's yeah and i don't think they should okay. yeah that's okay go it's as like Halloween weekend yeah go party it's an 8 p.m kick yeah. sneaky tough for fans in that one yeah okay this is from grant Horun, H-O-R-U-N. Signetti called this a trap game. Very true. Feels so much like the Georgia Southern trap last year. Away game, opponent has back-to-back losses. JMU making AP headlines. Can Signetti and the Dukes avoid the trap and get another impressive win on the road? And there's also a follow-up here. Should JMU expand Bridgeport? No, Grant. JMU should not expand Bridgeport. <laughs> on to your other point. I think I don't think this is a trap game. So I think, yes, they can go on the road and pick up another impressive win. I do think all of that travel to start the season has helped the Dukes uh, in, a, in a way to prepare for this, in a way that I don't think a lot of teams across the FBS necessarily are prepared for. Going from Troy to Troy, which according to our friends over at the Troy Boys podcast, if you're interested in keeping up with Troy football, highly recommend you subscribe to that. But uh, Seabass put it best. I mean, Troy, Alabama is a hard place to get to if you wake up in Troy, Alabama. Uh, and, and JMU went there, snuck out a win by two points. Next week, went to Utah, got a big win, and then came back home like I with a win. So, Also, all of those are like looking better as the season goes on. Much like, better. Yeah. Okay. So that's pretty cool. Like Troy they, looks good. Utah State actually looks kind of frisky. Gave Fresno State a pretty darn good. Well, it helps we played their backup. I was looking at Utah State's numbers. If they had started their like star quarterback, we may have lost that game. They benched, so they benched Lagos or whatever. They did Cooper Lagos for Hillstead, and then Hillstead got hurt, and that's why Lagos has been balling out the last few weeks. Oh, they like them both, I guess. They're both playing really well. Lagos has been awesome since he came back. I don't know why they benched him, but anyway, I saw like like three games over three hundred yards. I was like, fantastic. Oh, that would have been that would have been rough. The receivers are also really good. Right. Here's a question. I want to I want to follow up briefly on Grant's point about the AP headlines. Do you think there's any benefit to not being in the top 25, like not having a number this week? I think in a weird way, yes. Like I think that does – like anything you can use to motivate your players will motivate them. And I think saying that like the national media doesn't respect what you guys have done so far this season – go out there and prove them wrong again. I, I think there's a little bit to be said that 
after getting ranked last year, I mean, they came out with their sloppiest game of the season. Yeah. Like, I think I mean, there's something to be said about that. You even get the flip side a little bit too, right? Where Marshall can't be like they're ranked. Yeah. So like they can't use that. You could use it. Yeah. So that's, that's interesting. Maybe, maybe there's a benefit to not, not getting in there. <clears throat> I also Here's, don't really care about being ranked. No, I think it kind of takes care of itself. Like it's fun that they're like in the mix and like, I yeah. think there's a case they should be ranked, but it's like you go 12 and know you're ranked. You know I, mean? I mean, the AP poll is also just like a popularity contest. And so I don't like, I like seeing like the advanced metrics being like JMU has a number one rush right. defense. And like our friend at K Ford ratings is like 18. They're they have like the 18th best power rating. And it's just like, Oh, they're legit. Like yeah, the, the, the computers like us. So that's fine. That's all strength I strength. The record's really good. It's um, as an AP poll voter, you're covering like your one team's game and then sort of just doing that AP poll as an aside. So yeah, now that Jamie's getting some, some headlines, they'll probably get in there soon. I think he's funny. Okay. From Bill Papp. Why do Liberty posters constantly attempt to insert themselves in Sunbelt and JMU items with mostly nonsensical to blatantly false statements? Is it just plain envy or something else? Tired of having to Liberty explain things. Um, I'm going back. I forgot who said it. it may have been steak sauce, someone else. Uh, when mm -hmm. they said, why is Liberty not a church with a football team? I'm just going to go back to that. Like they're, they're a fraudulent school. I, I hate Liberty. Me like, too. I also think ignore them, ignore <laughs> anything of Liberty. Like you don't have to explain anything to them. They can live in their, their world of delusion all they want. You explaining stuff to them only brings you down to their let. Like this isn't, I'm kind of getting on a soapbox. Do what you want to do, Bill. I really, if you want a Liberty explain to them, but like I, I could not care less, couldn't care less about what a Liberty fan says on a Sunbelt or JMU football post, because at the end of the day, they don't matter. They're playing in an FCS conference. Like they literally are the stupidest school on the <laughs> face of the planet. So they can go and play Kennesaw state and Sam Houston state Every year until the cows come home, we'll play Marshall and actual like top 25 contending teams and enjoy football while they say they're undefeated with one of the worst strength of schedules in the entire nation, worse than some FCS schools, while they go to their mandated church every week. <laughs> it's funny because like they had a big game against Jacksonville State, which sucks. Like the conference USA is terrible. I still think they're going to lose a game or two this year, um, and then they'll stop talking. But I think some of the reason they've they've done things is because Jamie fans are having some some fun online chirping them too. Like out of, I've done this, yes, chirping them without being prompted. So part of it is that like you J do, yeah, JMU does it, and and fans do it and chirp them. But it's it's also because they're annoying that they don't realize that they're not. Playing, I hate them playing good teams. Anyway, I hate them. Okay, this is from Drake Drizzy Dalton eighty seven. I think the bye week actually helped with this game. I'm guessing coaches were able to prep some. Do you think Jamie's early road gauntlet sets them up for success with this game? Yes and yes. I mean, Signetti even at times was saying that during the bye week, they're going to yeah. peek ahead to Marshall. Yeah. So I, I, I think 100%. I think they probably did more than peek ahead. They probably had a, a group of coaches like yes. dedicated to Marshall game planning uh, because this is a short week. So, Yep, I, I feel you there. Okay, two more. This one I think you'll like a lot. Who strikes you guys as a more legitimate road threat in the coming weeks, Marshall or Georgia State? Georgia State. That's a good question. I think Georgia State's better than Marshall, evidenced by they their win. They beat them by a lot. 
yeah, like evidenced by that. I think Georgia State is granted Huntington, West Virginia is a much better home field advantage than whatever Georgia State calls their home stadium. But I think Georgia State is just like the overall better team. Georgia State can do some nice stuff offensively. They kind of get after it defensively. Uh, their coach is a certified sociopath, which actually might help them in that spot. Like if Jamie's ranked and you're at home and your coach is like a lunatic, I, I can him. see them giving a pretty He's good awesome. effort. And they probably should have beat Jamie last year, to be honest with you. So, And that was their down year. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Last question here. This is a good one from Mike RVA at Michael Holloman. With each win, how much closer is Signetti to a P5 P5 offer that he accepts? I think closer than we want to admit, but I also, I mean, we were talking about this earlier today. I don't know if you saw this question and it it prompted you to ask it or just kind of you asked us talking about it, put it into the ether. But at first I was like, there's no way he leaves unless it's for West Virginia. And then I was looking at his salary. And I realized that he's making less, like he could make at most this year with all incentives baked in a million dollars. Biff Pogey of Charlotte, whose only win is against South Carolina State, is making a base salary this year of $1.2 million. Like he, he, and I didn't realize like Tony Elliott's making 4.2 million base. And they only have an FCS win. So if you like Biff Pogey and Charlotte, so like if, Tony Elliott gets fired and UVA comes calling. I'm a little worried he takes it. I think the good news for UVA is that it would probably be at least one more year. I wonder if he's like another year or two away from, from doing it, Signetti. But I don't know. I mean, I hope Houston he left after three years, and Signetti's been here since 2019. That's true. He's going to have options. I think the, the thing with Signetti is what sort of piques his interest is one that he's willing to, to jump for. Because he is in a pretty good spot where JMU has – the resources, the fan support to contend. And then you got the playoff expanding. Like if he wants to go down as like a JMU coaching legend, as opposed to going to a P five, make a little extra coin. I just don't know what, what like motivates him. So, and in theory, he's going to get pay raise after pay raise after pay raise. Yeah. Like with a, but like he's going to make a million dollars this year. And then that'll bump up when they get more donors and then it'll bump up. And I also have a feeling Jeff Bourne, does not want to leave into retirement with a, a vacant football head coach seat. Like I think he's going to give it a pretty good run to, to keep him around. And yeah, I, I hope he stays because not to overreact. If Cartsignetti stays, they're like a legitimate playoff contender next year. Also, have you seen what happens when teams have to hire a new coach? Like we, JMU's lucky that they went from Withers to Houston to Signetti. That doesn't happen. No, you can lose like your entire roster and then take like a long time building it back and then go back into the cycle. If they can keep him for multiple more seasons, they're going to be awesome. Like yes. we talked about how they've yeah. adjusted so well, how they adjust to new coaches, new players. They're killing the portal. And if they keep him after the season, they're about to finish up. Dude, Jamie was about to like clean up the portal in the off season. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I, I think board will make a, very heavy effort. I mean, I don't know what rules are, but we might just see a, an anonymous donation come in. That's just that's from good. the check of born. Is like, wouldn't you, you would probably need some level of donations to like expand the stadium, do that project. It's like, no, 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 no. Just throw whatever money there is or whatever you can round up and give it to Kurt Signetti instead of like how the stadium looks. I agree. All right. Moving from that, 
I do want to take a moment uh, before we get up on out of here uh, to hit on JMU volleyball because I don't know if like a JMU football fan is fully aware of what volleyball has done since coming to the Sun Belt. Uh, JMU volleyball, of course, joined the Sun Belt last year. Since then, they are 23 and one in conference play. 23 and one. This season, they've won 24 sets in conference play. They've only lost three sets. They've won in straight sets. The last four games, they're currently ranked 18th in the RPI and their only loss that wasn't against a ranked team was against Ohio, who is 69th in the RPI. Lauren Steinbrecher is unbelievable as their coach, man. She's been so good. Like those, no, that's insane numbers. I think they've lost, they've won, uh, they've won in straight sets the last four games which means they have won their last 12 sets. And I think they've won their last 13. Yeah, we're right there. I have that in my notes. Won their last 13 sets. They're playing so well. They're, it's kind of only a matter of time right before they maybe snag an NCAA tournament win. I think this might be the year. I think it could be too. Because I mean, they're like, what, a- borderline RPI case? I mean, RPI, borderline at-large case right now, right? Assuming I don't think it's borderline. Bo- I don't think it's borderline. they're a lock if they keep winning? If they keep what they're 18th in the RPI, 18th in the RPI, they've got South Alabama, a couple road matches at the end if, of the year. And if I think you win out, if you win out and lose only in the conference yeah, championship, you are an at large. Um, so shout out to JMU volleyball because they are balling. If you are in the Harrisonburg area when they're kind of having one of their events at Condo now, highly recommend getting to one of those matches to watch just the utter domination they bestow on any poor soul that walks into that arena. And I'll give them a quick plug. They are home Thursday and Friday evening of homecoming weekend. So if you're in town on the 27th, I think they play at five o'clock against Georgia Southern. So if, if you're in town a little early for ODU football, that kind of thing, certainly a, a, uh, a good spot to go watch them. And last thing, JMU men's and women's basketball both were picked to win the Sun Belt in the preseason. Massive step forward, especially for the men's basketball program. After years and years of mediocrity and just downright badness, there's finally expectations going into this. There was expectation last year, but I think this year there's like legit anticipation that this team can do some really special things. In Ken Palm, they are the third best team in the Sun Belt for the men's side. In Ken Palm, behind App and South Alabama, I believe. JMU, the additions they made in the transfer portal, they should be really good. If Terrence Edwards takes another step forward, he he's Sunbelt player of the year caliber type of guy. TJ Bickerstaff, uh, Quincy Allen, like they they got some guys on this roster, unproven, uh, but they have the intangibles to really to really win some games this year. Bennett's expecting how many wins? I could see him getting to that twenty five range, big time, and women's. Uh, they did lose Kiki Jefferson, but Peyton McDaniel, still a stud. Uh, Jamia Hazel, still a stud. So They're really good. They've got a waiver out for Heaven Bristow, Ohio State transfer, based on what Sean O'Regan has said, I guess, in the Jamie Sports Blog Pod and maybe some other media stuff. She's a big deal if they get that waiver. 
but either way they should be in the mix it's it's really cool to go into a basketball season where the women look like they're going to be like a vintage women's team where they're in the mix for a conference title and the men pulling their weight for the first time in a while it's nice to go from football season and have similar excitement i think both of us are pretty stoked for basketball yes 100 percent. well anything else you want to add before we get up on out of here college game day could it be coming to town who knows all right, for Bennett Conlin, <laughs> I guess we'll talk about that more next week. I'm Jack Fitzpatrick. This has been the JMU Sports News Podcast presented by Bet Online. We'll see you guys next week. for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.